0: Who's glad to be a part of a church where there's grace? Oh, man, come on. If you have a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 8. If you have a phone, search Luke chapter 8. We're going to dive into God's Word today. You know God's Word is living and active, right? That means you can read the same story in the Bible a hundred times and on... Time 101, something will hit you differently because it is living and active. Church, do you believe that the word of God is God-breathed and that it is profitable for teaching, training, instruction, and righteousness? I'm literally just quoting what the scripture says about itself. Can we submit ourselves to the word of God today? Let's go. One day, Jesus got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went, and they woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke, and he rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased. Come on, someone say it with me. And there was a calm. He said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid and they marveled saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even winds and water and they obey him? What a great question. Who is this man? Who is this man, Jesus, that speaks to raging wind and waves and it obeys his voice? Maybe the wind and the waves, since we had our little moment talking about God creating the heavens and the earth with his voice, maybe, oh, come on, somebody, when he spoke, they recognized his voice. And the wind and the waves said, oh, that's the voice of the one who created me. I better obey it. I want you to see a few things in this story. Number one, Jesus had a plan. He had a mission. Let us go across. He had a mission. From the outside of this story, Jesus had a plan. Number two, look, something came against his plan. He had an intention to go across the lake and a windstorm came down on his plan. Have you ever had a plan or intention or felt like you were moving in a direction and something came down on you to stop you and resist you? Jesus had a plan. Something came against his plan. Number three, he rises up. Somebody say rise up. He rises up. I love this. He responds to the resistance by rebuking what raged against him. He responded to the resistance by speaking and rebuking what was raging against him. But here's good news for us. It wasn't just raging against him. It was raging against two. His friends. That's good news for us, right? Hey, do you know Jesus is in the boat? right? They encounter resistance. Jesus comes against it. And say it with me again, there was a calm. How awesome would that be? If every time that you started to feel that resistance, that weight, that pressure, immediately instead of freaking out like these guys did and like we did so awesome, so often, it's as soon as you start to feel the resistance, you go, oh, 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 I've been in a storm before. Jesus is, is in my boat, okay, and and you come against what's coming against you, and there. Was a calm. How many guys would love to not have to deal with anxiety so much? How many would love to not have to deal with those raging things that feel like they just come against us? Look, what I want us to see in this story is that ultimately Jesus was asleep when all of this happened. Check this out Jesus was sleeping through what was threatening them. To them, it was whoa, whoa, we're perishing. To Jesus, it was nap time. No, stay with me here. He was asleep. I want us to see something very powerful as we kick off our summer series, and I tell you what we're leaning into as a community. He was at rest. And because he was at a place of rest, inside of him, he was resting. He was secure, he was asleep. He was not freaking out. He knew who he was. He was resting. From his place of rest, he stood up and spoke rest into the atmosphere around him. Do you see what I'm saying? From his rest, he brought calm. Church, when you live at rest, you walk in the authority of, To bring rest to the atmosphere around you. That word for calm is galene. It means stillness, tranquility. It's only in the New Testament three times, and it's all in this story. Because Luke tells this story, Matthew tells this story, and Mark tell this story, all from a different perspective. And the only time this word calm is found in the New Testament is when they tell this story. This was a unique moment of stillness that Jesus brought into the atmosphere that was raging against him. What's interesting is that in Matthew's account of this same story, it comes right after what the, what the Bible has titled, Jesus' talk on the cost of discipleship. I want you to see this in Matthew 8. Same story, different account, Matthew's account, It says a scribe comes up to Jesus and he says, teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, look, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. If you want to follow me, you need to know that you might be homeless. And then another disciple comes to Jesus and said, Lord, I want to follow you, but let me go first and bury my father. And Jesus says, hey, follow me. Leave the dead to bury their own dead. Kind of seems a little harsh, but he's communicating to them, look, there is a cost to follow me. And then literally right after those words in Matthew 8, it says, he got in the boat and his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea. Why am I sharing Matthew's account of this? Look, look, because Jesus spoke about the cost of discipleship. They got in the boat. They said, okay, all right you're worth it. I've counted the cost. I will follow you. And they follow him straight into a storm. Church, many of us have counted the cost of discipleship, and we have chosen to follow Jesus. And then we often find ourselves swirling in the midst of a whirlwind of opposition. How quickly we panic and forget that he's in the boat. Mark's account in Mark 4 reveals what's really going on in our hearts. Check this out. In Mark 4, he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. They woke him and they said, Teacher, oh, this is a little different. Do you not care? Let's be honest. Mark nails it on the head when what's going on in our hearts, if we're often, when the storms start hitting us, right? Come on. Do you not care that we are perishing? I was thinking about this earlier today. We're talking about, we're talking about Jesus who left His throne in heaven to become flesh, to walk on the earth, who became a baby, who had lived 30 years ish about this point of time as a man on a broken planet, right? Who had called these guys to himself and spent most of the waking hours with them in the time period leading up to this, okay? Do you not care? Jesus, you only crossed heaven and earth and left your throne and became a man to incarnate and come save all of our broken souls. Do you not care we're perishing? Come on, this is us. A little bit of wind, a little bit of waves. Do you not care? You know what he says to them in this account? Why are you so afraid? (laughs) Think about that interaction for a second. Look, Jesus, do you not care? He looks back at us. Why are you so afraid? And then, have you still no faith? Yeah. Hey, Jesus rebukes the wind and the wave. The scripture says there was a great calm all right the the greek is a megas m e g a s okay so i don't know why why luke just said there was a calm matthew and mark said there was this great calm and in the silence of this megas galene jesus goes where's your faith it's crazy that i think that i think that at this point he was expecting his students to have learned something about him. Do you not care? We all encounter storms. We all encounter resistance. We all encounter difficulty. And I want to speak over us I believe the invitation for us is into this great calm with Jesus this summer. I believe when he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you, have you no faith? I don't know. I can't prove this. This is my opinion. Okay, don't go grill me on social media or something. Okay, I think he was like, why'd you wake me up? These guys had spent time with him. These guys were learning to walk in the authority that he was teaching them to walk in. I think he was like, man, you just messed up my nap. <laughs> you could have done that. You See what I'm saying? Because we see later in the gospel accounts, they walk in the authority to rebuke demonic spirits. I heard a pastor say that the, we know that this storm was not from God. We know that this storm had some type of demonic power coming against them because Jesus rebuked it. Jesus told it to sit down, Jesus told it to calm down. Think about if that boat had gone down, what would have gone down in that boat? The gospel the message that jesus was coming the the good news that he was bringing from heaven to earth would have gone down in that boat of course a windstorm came down upon it you see what i'm saying so i want to introduce this summer series for us we're com- we're calling this summer selah and we sang it we sang the song that we've kind of been writing together but we we took the last about three, four weeks as a leadership team from our pastoral leadership team to our staff team. And we prayed and we said, God, what are you saying this summer? What are you speaking? Because if your voice created the heavens and the earth, then instead of coming up with our own sermon series, what if we said, what are you saying? It was probably a lot more powerful. And time and time again, what what our team felt like we were hearing was, A summer of restoration, a summer of refreshment, a summer of growing deep, strong roots, a summer of being still and knowing that he's God, a summer of seeking him and finding his rest, a summer to stop. And Selah. If you've been around here, and this is your church family, it's been a pretty intense nine months If you've just lived on planet Earth in the last couple years, it's been a pretty intense, you know? And there's this biblical principle that restoration follows rest. That's why it's called restoration. And so this summer, we want to learn how to rest in God. Though the storms rage... Though the wind keeps howling, we want to learn the say law of God. As a community, we want to learn how to not freak out when the boats start shaking, when the waves start crashing, right? And how to sink into this great calm. Because remember, Jesus was at rest, and it was from that place of rest that he brought rest around him. So we're gonna learn how to rest with Jesus this summer. You guys okay with that? I'm excited because we're turning the word rest. Actually, go ahead and grab, there's journals. We got you journals. They're underneath the chairs at the end. So if you're seated near the end of a row, not, yeah, grab the stack of journals and just start passing them down the row. Because, We are going to sink our teeth into um, not just some nice messages, hopefully some decent preaching, okay, but we're sinking our teeth really into uh, what I would call an equipping, where we learn together how to practice rest, and if you look at your journal right there on the front, that sticker, we turned the word REST into an acronym. All right? You can look at it and read it with me. It stands for Remember, Exalt, Surrender, and Trust. And the reason why we gave you journals is because we want to encourage us as a church family to stop, to be still, to grab a journal. Sit down at a picnic table and rest and let the stillness, the Selah of God meet you. And so we've provided this little acronym because I've been practicing this myself for the last couple of weeks. And here's the cool thing. You can do this in two minutes, falling asleep at night, or you can draw this out into an hour, listen to worship music and journal. I've done both, but I, I will just, I will literally re- say, God, I receive your rest, And I'll start working through the acronym. Let's say that day in particular, I was just thinking about God as our healer, all right? I'll go, God, I remember that you are my healer. I remember that by your wounds, the Bible says I'm healed. And I remember all the times and all the ways that I've experienced your healing in my life. And I exalt you. That just means to lift him up and to worship. I thank you that you're my healer. I worship you as my healer. I exalt you as my healer. And I surrender to you the places in my life that still need healing. I lay down all the anxieties and the cares of the unhealed places or the things in my family member or my community. I surrender and I trust you as healer in 60 seconds you see that you feel that I remember I exalt I surrender and I trust and we want to step into a summer of learning these different components and so we're going to preach a couple weeks on remembering the Lord And we're going to preach a couple weeks on exalting him, on surrender, and on trust. And I'm excited because I'm not going to be up here every week. We're going to get some of the different guys, the men, leaders in our church, pastoral leadership team, core men in our church family, and women are going to come and bring messages on how we can rest and say law with the Lord. Amen? I believe that if we will, every time there is... um, an invitation from from a spiritual leader. I want you to understand just something. There have been probably 20 people who sought the Lord and said, God, what are you saying for our church family? And we found a place of unity on what we felt like God was speaking. And so now, maybe you weren't a part of that 20, that's fine, but you're a part of this family and you get to come in and say, oh, they're leading us into something this summer. And, and, the, and the way I understand, even as we see Jesus and his authority, the way I understand authority authority to work is that anytime you follow the leadership of somebody that's been entrusted to care for you spiritually you will find life in that place. And so I want to encourage you to sink your teeth if you're if this is your church home and your church family. I want you to sink your teeth into this word with us this summer. Because here's what I believe, just like Jesus was asleep in the boat and then from that place of rest got up and had authority to rebuke a demonic storm coming against his people, I believe that that is is what we have to gain. Are you with me? We have to gain from learning how to rest. We actually have to gain a, a higher level of learning how to walk out in that authority and see storms around us cease. But for the remainder of today, I am just gonna preach the gospel to us, if that's okay. And I'm gonna explain what that is, but the reason why I'm just gonna preach the gospel, so if you wanna flip, you can start flipping to Romans chapter one. I wanna preach the gospel Because the beginning of rest, that acronym on your journal, is to remember. And the number one thing that we are prone to forget as followers of God from the Old Testament to the New. Come on, someone. The number one thing we are prone to forget is how God has delivered us. We are prone to forget how he's rescued us. We are prone simply to say we are prone to forget the gospel. And the number one thing that we need to remember as we sink into a Selah this summer is we need to remember the gospel because the gospel is the starting point of all true rest. We cannot find true rest until we're able to rest in what Jesus has done the finished work that he has done on our behalf. Are you with me, church? Learning to rest in the finished work of Jesus is is the beginning of our remembrance. And so I wanna preach the gospel to us today out of Romans. I'm gonna start in Romans 5, and then we're gonna back up, because Romans 5, chapter, verse, verse 1 says, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace. Are you at peace with God? Can you honestly say in your heart of hearts, I'm at peace with God? The gospel reveals to us the justification by faith that comes through Jesus. And it is the only thing that can give us peace with God. Somebody say the gospel. The gospel gospel is the only thing that can give us true peace and true rest with God. So before we take a a, a say-loss summer to learn how to rest, we have to remember the gospel. Check it out. Romans chapter 1. I'm camping in Romans 1 today, and if it's okay with you guys, I'm going to let the Word of God speak for itself um, and lead us into the gospel. Y'all go with that? He says this, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the holy scripture concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead very simply put the gospel is that the son of god came in the flesh that he lived the life we could not live. He died the death that we deserve, and he rose again. The gospel, very simply put, is about Jesus. It's about the Son of God. It's about a resurrection power that has the ability to overturn any and everything that is dead in our lives. Because he says here, In verse 16, a little bit later in the same chapter, Romans 1, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for in it, it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith, as, as, ah, as it is written, come on, say it with me, the righteous shall live by faith. The gospel simply means good news. It's the good news about God's power to save us. Did you see that? The gospel is the power of God for salvation. And in the gospel, God's righteousness is revealed. The gospel is the good news about God's righteousness made available to us, okay? But let me, let me paint a picture, okay? I want to tell you about how good news works. Good news usually works when you've just heard bad news, right? Good news doesn't really work that effectively. Uh, well, maybe sometimes in and of itself, but it works a lot better when you've heard bad news, Right? So let me just, let's just go with me here. Step into the doctor's office, okay? You walk in, you're going in to see the doctor for a regular wellness checkup. You haven't felt anything necessarily wrong with you, out of the ordinary, you're sitting there, he comes, he does some tests, he draws some blood maybe, he takes your blood pressure and then he leaves. He goes and examines the data and he comes back and he sits down and he says, I have good news. There's a cure. Are you with me? (laughs) Wait, 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 wait. What? You're like on your phone scrolling Instagram, you know, waiting for him to come back in. I have good news. There's a cure. You go, whoa, man, you just took my blood pressure. What do you mean? You know? Okay. Now rewind. Okay. You're in the doctor's office. He takes all your vital signs, draws blood, blood pressure, da-da-da, leaves for a little while. He's gone for a long time. You're starting to get nervous now. Now he comes back in. He sits down with a very serious look on his face, okay? And he says, I have some very bad news. It's stage four, cancer, and you don't have much time. But I have good news, we just had a medical breakthrough last week and there's a cure, woo, right? Do you see how much more effective good news is when you were just given the bad news? Okay? So, if the gospel is the good news about God's power to save us, we have to actually understand the bad news that precedes us. And the bad news, or the sobering news, is that we have a righteousness problem. Okay? We we have a righteousness problem. And I want us to just keep going here in Romans. Let's let the word of God speak for itself. In verse 18, right after he says the righteousness of God is revealed, he says, "This look, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Women, you can throw yourselves in there too, all right? Unrighteousness of men and women who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Hang, hang here. you see what this is saying? It is saying that, that just by living on planet earth, what we can discern with our five senses, especially in a place like Salt Lake City. He said, What just by living on planet, there is enough evidence of God for none of us to ever be able to make the excuse, I didn't know he was real. I didn't know he was powerful and I didn't know he was righteous. People like to bring up that argument and say, well, what about people that have never heard? According to the Bible, everybody's heard because his divine power has been clearly perceived only in creation. If all you ever did was walk on the planet, you would have seen enough about God's goodness and his power to know that he was real. The problem isn't that God hasn't revealed himself. The problem is our unrighteousness suppressing what he has revealed. Do you see that in the scripture? Do you hear that I am not preaching my opinions, I am preaching God's word? Our problem is unrighteousness. We suppress the truth. I wanna show you in Romans 1 the downward slide of our problem with unrighteousness real quickly. Let's let's keep going, okay? It says first that we suppress. Can you just say the word suppress with me? That's where it starts, okay? Pretty innocent, right? We're just gonna suppress the truth a little bit, right? Pretty innocent, but look where it goes from here, okay? Okay? Verse 21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. Uh Uh-oh, it's getting a little bit worse here. We just went from suppressing a little bit of truth to not honoring or giving thanks to him. And so they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise, right? Oh, we're so enlightened. We're so progressive. We're so advanced. We're we're so wise now. They became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Verse 24, therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts. Basically, God said, if you don't want me to be your God, I will not force you to be. And he takes his hand off and lets them go their own way, or I should say, lets us go our own way, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. I want you to see, I don't know if we have it up here, but this progression. We go from suppressing to dishonoring to exchanging to flat out worshiping created things instead of the creator. Are you watching the slide? Oh, so innocent. We're just gonna suppress the truth a little bit. But that leads actually to a lack of gratitude for who he is and a dishonoring of God. And then that progresses to where we actually exchange the glory of God for something lesser to the point where we start worshiping created things instead of the creator. It doesn't stop there. And I... I'm just going to, I'm literally just reading straight through Romans. I know that we're going to hit some stuff that's going to be heavy or hard to hear, but just stay with me because this hits all of us. It says, verse 26, For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty of their error. It doesn't stop there. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, he gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done, and they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness. Somebody, somebody say that with me. All manner of unrighteousness, okay? All manner, all, every kind, every flavor, every shade, every variety, every conceivable dysfunction of unrighteousness under the sun, Evil, covetousness, malice, envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, gossip, slander, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. In 14 verses. Put the progression up there for me again. Okay, we went from we just suppressed the truth of God to we're now dishonoring him and not giving him gratitude to where now we just exchange his glory for a lie. We start worshiping created things. Now we're in the realm of false worship. The next step is we start to ignore God. I don't know if we have that that one up there as well, but I, I had... the the entire list at one point. I don't know if it came through or not, but we start ignoring God because check this out. Once we've decided that the creator isn't real and we could ignore him, then guess what? We can practice our unrighteousness with no fear of God. And so then, do you see the slide here? Oh, we're just going to suppress the truth. Didn't it seem so innocent at the top? And then, and then somewhere in the middle, we're exchanging his glory, worshiping false things, and then down at the bottom, we're actually celebrating unrighteousness, all manner of unrighteousness. I don't, I don't care what your shade or flavor is. I could, if we had time, I could tell you my story. Proverbs 1 puts it like this. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, they would have none of my counsel. They despised all my correction. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. Look, look. God is giving us what we've asked for. That's it. See what I'm saying? We have gone our own way and our own. On our own unrighteousness and we're simply receiving the fill of our own devices and it hits every single one of us but there's a cure come on right i don't know if you know this But you came to a church today that believes in the incarnate Son of God named Jesus, okay? He existed eternally with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit until he left the throne of heaven, became incarnate as a man, walked on the earth. Guess what? Jesus, guess how many of these flavors Jesus tasted? zero. He was sinless. He was pure. He obeyed and honored God every time. He chose righteousness in every way that you and I and the entire world has chosen unrighteousness. And then, and then, with zero guilt on his own head personally, He took all manner of our unrighteousness. And look, I understand what month it is in Salt Lake City and what I just preached, okay? But listen, the unrighteousness that your flavor is, okay, whatever you carry, just because it's a different unrighteousness that might be celebrated in our streets today, it's all falling short unbelievably short of the glory of God and his righteousness. This is why the gospel is good news. Let's get one one six of Romans 1 up there again. Because in the gospel, check it out, the righteousness of God is revealed. Do you see why we need righteousness revealed? Are you hearing the gospel today, church? All of us, all manner of unrighteousness, we have a problem. The gospel is the solution. God, let's get Romans 3 up there, okay? Check it out, church. For now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Look, there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I looked up the, I'm just kidding, I didn't look up the Greek word for all. But if I did, guess what it would mean? All have sinned and fall short, and we're justified by His grace. Worship band, come up here. We're going to remember the grace of God. We're going to take communion. Jesus gave us the remembrance act of communion to remember His grace as a gift. Look, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward, I'm going to confuse you and I'm going to make it really clear, okay? As a propitiation by his blood (laughs) to be received by faith. Wave at me. Come on, you theologians, if you honestly know what propitiation means. Come on. All right, I see you, Tally. All right, come on. Wave at me. I know we got more than two, three, four people that know what propitiation. Who's ready to get theological today? Come on. Hey, hey, look, I know we just preached the weighty the weighty bad news of man's unrighteousness, okay? But we have the weighty good news of the righteousness of Jesus. Let me tell you about propitiation. Propitiation simply means that a substitute stood in your place. It specifically means a substitutionary sacrifice because the Bible from Adam to Revelation preached that the wages of our unrighteousness, church, is death. The wages of sin, the wages of all manner of our unrighteousness is separation from God and judgment. And so propitiation means that where I deserved judgment. A substitute came forward. Hop up here, Roel. Come on. Roel's in the courtroom today, and they just they just put up on the evidence block all manner of unrighteousness that this man has committed, and they got it on video. It's not a question of how guilty he is. There's all manner of evidence against this man that he deserves check this out. By a good judge operating a non-corrupt justice system that this man, because of his criminal activity, because of his wickedness and unrighteousness, he deserves to be judged. Stay with me. Good judges, righteous judges, do not let convicted guilty men walk back into society. Justice is a good thing, church. Listen, the Bible says that God's throne is founded upon righteousness and justice. All manner of unrighteousness has earned this man a penalty of death and has earned you and I a penalty of death. There's so much evidence against him. There's not enough community service in the world that he could do to pay off this debt. You know what I'm saying? He couldn't, I know I'm digging you a deep hell grave here. right, bro. You couldn't work your way. What I'm trying to say, church, is that's why the law couldn't help you because you were so bad and so far gone at your worst that I don't care how much you try to heap up your righteous deeds. They will never outweigh your unrighteous deeds. You are guilty, condemned propitiation is the good news. Stay there, Raul. I'm about to rescue you, bro. (laughs) It's the good news that in the courtroom of your judgment walked the Son of Man, walked the Son of God who had nothing on His record. He never had an ounce of unrighteousness upon Him. He walked the earth holy, blameless, and pure, And though your manner of unrighteousness deserved you judgment and death, he stood forward in the courtroom that day and he said, I will substitute myself for this man's condemnation. You are forgiven. You are released. Go free and be free because I will be the substitutionary sacrifice church this is the gospel i will be the substitutionary sacrifice for that man's sin and on the cross the weight of my unrighteousness of your unrighteousness the weight of every flavor And all manner of unrighteousness that men and women have committed under the sun, including the unrighteousness that's being celebrated in our world right now. On the cross, the weight of it fell on Jesus. He said, No man takes my life from me, I give it of my own authority. And on the cross, In Romans where it said the wrath of God is revealed against unrighteousness on the cross. The justice of God against your sin and against the sins of the earth. The wrath and justice of a just heavenly courtroom crushed the Son of God in your place. Can we get that Romans 3 back up there? Look. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ whom God put forward. Do you see that? He put Jesus forward as a substitutionary sacrifice in his blood to be received by faith only thing that man had to do in the courtroom that day was get out of the way. And receive it. Church. This is the weight of God's mercy. This is the weight of God's grace. We're going to remember it in communion. Jesus said, every time that you celebrate communion, you proclaim my death until I return. Right, come on. We're proclaiming the death of Jesus that put forth for us the grace of God. And I want to ask every eye to just close in the room for a second you've never received the blood of Jesus for your unrighteousness. You've never placed your faith in Christ alone. I want you to have a moment. It is simply a moment to receive You're receiving, check this out, you're receiving His righteousness. The gospel is that the righteousness of God was in Jesus and it's enough for you. So you lay your sin at the cross and He puts the righteousness of His Son on top of you and you become, in the place where you once stood guilty, you become justified. You become purified. You become forgiven. In one instance, it's in the blood of Jesus. You become righteous as He is righteous. Oh, do you see how the gospel is the starting point for rest? Rest in the righteousness of Jesus. If you have faith in Him, you are already in His eyes, purified, it is finished. So we take communion today. Jesus said, this was my body broken for you. for all manner of unrighteousness my body was torn and my blood was spilled he said this is the cup of a new covenant the forgiveness of sin for many and he passed the cup and he passed the bread and he said as you are ready. We're going to worship. We're going to just take a moment to remember, celebrate the body and the blood of Jesus.